so we're entering into week five, as Mike had mentioned earlier, of our Lenten series, Return to Me with All Your Heart. And today we're going to, we broached this briefly last week. We, um, you're going to have to help me, Andy. It's not working. So, so this week we're going to be looking at um, making all things new, and we're going to continue kind of the tapestry that we've been weaving from the beginning of the year. We started this year looking at Scripture as our material, as the core of what we, we use when we start to look at building a Christian life and being one as the Father and Son are one. And the Holy Spirit is, is the thread that weaves all that together. The Holy Spirit reveals to us as we study Scripture in a new light in lots of different ways and lots of different times. And when you bring those things together with the goal of becoming one as the Father and Son are one, then, then we have this beautiful tapestry that can be woven together. And, and, and it's an amazing thing. And so we started the year looking at, at that. How do we be one as the Father and Son are one? And we recognize pretty quickly that if we're going to be one as the Father and Son are one, we might want us to look at prayer. So we went with, we talked about Mark Batterson's series on the circle maker, and we talked about the power of prayer, and that when we, we pray into the promises of God, that we can be bold and audacious, because these are things that God gave to us. He, and when, he's, when he says that he has plan, plans to give us a hope and a future, we can grab hold of that and pray into that in power, because it's a promise of God. He says, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways and seek my face, then will I heal their lands. We can grab that. That's a promise from God. And we can pray boldly into that. And so we've been doing that, and then we get Lent. And we started with this idea of a time of reflection, because Lent really is about taking a, a look at our lives and seeing where we are and where God would have us. We started this series, which is out of the lectionary. We started with fruitful fields, and then we went into a barren wilderness, and then we looked at Abraham and the countless stars that are... That, that represent his descendants, and, and we looked at the promises of God, both large and small, and moved into last week where we talked a lot about reflecting, re reflecting and spending time with God, finding our true priority, right? Do you remember how you find out what your true priority is? You, what do you think about? There's three elements. What do you think about? What do you spend your time thinking about? Where do you spend your money? And what do you do? And if you want to know what your real priorities are, because we can say whatever we want, but that's going to tell us where our real priorities in life lie. So this week we're going to be talking about being a new creation. We broached that last week with Paul, but we're going to move into that. And we're going to also, you know, there's a lot of reflection. You know my process. I, I like to kind of go back and, and come forward. And you'll remember, uh, next slide, Andy, that you'll remember this. Uh, this from the Circle Maker series, the idea of how do you master a skill? How do you, how do you learn something? And it takes 10,000 hours of practice, uh, and it's not just plunking on a piano practice. It's not just, you know, playing, you know, if you want to be a concert pianist, you're going to have to actually spend devoted, deliberate time practicing that. If you want to be an Olympic gymnast, it's not going to be playing on the playground, right? You're going to have to go, and you're going to spend time in order to develop those skills, and it's a deliberate process, and that requires a, a, a total commitment. It requires a whole-bodied, wholehearted focus, 
And on the screen it says you can do it in five and a half years. But if you look, that's a full-time job, right? Eight hours a week, five days a week. Most of us can't do that when we're talking about mastering a skill. And when we look at skills such as prayer and study and the, and the, the discipleship skills that we as Christ followers are to develop, you know, it's going to take a little bit longer than that. And in the circle maker, Batterson would, would say that it's ten, year, 10 years worth of persistent hard work, intentional effort, and then you will master the skill. But here's the thing that's great about that. Any of y'all golf? Nobody golfs? Oh, there we go. I was going to say, that's a, so when you learn to swing, right, you first you have to think a lot when you're learning how to swing, but when you get better, do you think about your swing much? It's muscle memory, right? It's like I got to figure it out. And when you start thinking about your swing, then you start going way off. You know, same with, with bowling and those kinds of sports. Repetition, and you get to where it's a muscle memory thing. And when we're talking about prayer and when we're talking about developing mastery of a skill, when it becomes muscle memory, that's when it's powerful because that's when you t- it, it's, it's ingrained and it's embedded. And, and you miss it when it's gone. You know, if it's not there on a day, you go, what's missing? And so that's the power of, of this 10,000 hours of deliberate practice slide. So our passage today is out of Philippians chapter 4, or chapter 3, beginning at verse 4. If anyone else has a reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Paul is talking to the church at Philippi, and he's given kind of some of his background. If anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of the Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, not earning it, but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. It's grace, guys. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the sharing of his sufferings by becoming like him in his death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved. Love that. Beloved. I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. See, for the people of God, we are a resurrection people. And our one thing is, is resurrection. It's the movement from death to new life. You know, in, in our journey, in, in our life, we practice this idea of resurrection, of rebirth, of letting go of the old and grabbing the new as a church and as individuals throughout our journey together as body of believers. Every time we gather in a space of confession, every time that we do that, that we practice resurrection. We unburden our lives and we unburden our hearts with somebody who's safe and the weight of our sin, the things that keep us from God that we have carried far too long are carried away. We carry them together, sharing the burdens. 
allows each of us to carry some of that burden. And every time we come to the table, as we're going to at the, after the message, when we celebrate the Eucharist, which means great, great, great thanksgiving, when we celebrate communion, we, we go to the table and we get to practice the movement of death toward new life. That was when Christ began a process of going to the cross for us, when he went with his disciples and he gave them a new thing, a new understanding of the Seder meal. So we come to the table to receive this grace. We come to the table and we take this bread and we drink this cup and it sustains our bodies and it gets into our soul. It's deep. It's important. And we can leave the table full of community because we're coming together. We leave the table with hope because there is such a hope in Jesus Christ. We leave with love and an experience of grace and and of memory. We remember who we are. Remember me. I remember seeing that on Walk to Emmaus, and, and it said, remember me on a table, that what their table did. And it struck me that if you put a dash between re and member, it was kind of like, remember me. Make me a member again. Remind me of the body of belief. Remind me I am God's. I am a member of something powerful and special. I am a child of the living God. Remember me. And every time we lift prayers for somebody who's struggling, somebody who's going through something, trusting that, that there is a God who is listening, and who cares? And we lift those prayers and, and we turn over the knees. We, we, we move from old to new. We're not fixing anything, but God can. And we turn it over to him. We go from the old life. We go from the grave to, the, to, the, to, the, to a new life of resurrection. And last week is a reminder that every time we, a child comes to the waters of baptism, we recommit ourselves to the same spirit that hovered over the, over the waters at the beginning of time. We walk into newness. Of life, and it's deliberate, this practice that we do. It's a deliberate thing. Until something as counterintuitive as resurrection, how can I be a resurrection people? I'm still alive. It's counterintuitive. But then it becomes muscle memory. I can be that because I have a God who re- resurrects lives and resurrects me in a lot of different ways. I'm a recovering person. I can tell you about resurrection. I was dead, and now I'm alive. And there's that part of your life, too, that that dies so that God may live. And then it becomes natural. It becomes our home. And in this period, uh, and it's, uh, those of you who are fasting from something know there's a long prayer period in Lent. We still practice this idea of new life. It's still our home. It's a transformative process for us. We still pray and we confess and we come to the table as, as, as Christ's people. We affirm Christ has died. Christ is risen Christ will come again. If we've really gotten into the, if we've gone into this Lenten season, gone into this wilderness going, okay, God, where is it that I am? What, what, is, what are my priorities? Is that where I want my priority to be? And we start to look at that and we go, okay, where do I need to be? Then on Easter, we're going to recognize a transformation that happens in our hearts and our lives. But it's still going to require us to make the effort and to step into it. And then we're starting that push towards the empty tomb, right? You can kind of see on the horizon, Holy Week starts starts in a week. And then there's Palm Sunday and all of the things that come with Holy Week, all the ups and downs. It's right there. But there's still some things that we need to do, some examination, some some reflection on, on where we are, where we're supposed to be before that stone can be rolled away. The Hebrew 
Bible lectionary, because this is out of the lectionary um, of the UMC. The reading for this week is from the prophet Isaiah, the Old Testament reading. There's, I mentioned this a while back. There is an Old Testament and a New Testament reading each week. And, and it brings back to mind the theme that Paul touched on in 2 Corinthians from last week. The passage comes from a section of the text that's, that's called 2 Isaiah, and it's Isaiah chapter 40 through 55. And what differentiates this is that this is when the Israelites were in exile. So these 15 chapters are written as a reminder that God is still with them, that God is, st- is not giving up on them, that he's going to bring new life for them, even though it seems darkest. And guys, grab that. You know, I, I needed this this morning, that, that even when, it, when life seems, you know, it's, it's overwhelming sometimes and it gets dark and it seems like hope is lost, God is still there and he's still going to lift us and he's still going to carry us. He's a God of resurrection. And so these words from the prophet were a reminder that when the people of Israel were tempted to go back into slavery and, and, and looked at the wilderness as maybe, maybe, maybe that's too much for us and it seemed too challenging and it seemed endless, that God made a way from that death to a new promise. And he's going to do it again. And my life is a reflection of he's going to do it again and again and again. So our passage is out of Isaiah 43. Chapter 16, or verse 16. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea, a path in the mighty waters, who brings out chariot and horse, army and warrior. They lie down, they cannot rise. They are extinguished, quenched like a wick. Do not remember the former things or consider the things of old, because I am about to do a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The wild animals will honor me. The jackals and the ostriches, for I give water in the wilderness, rivers in the desert to give drink to my chosen people, the people whom I formed for myself so that they might declare my praise. Peter echoes this too, and he says, for you are a chosen people, a holy nation, my special possession. And it seems like the prophet would not want to write this part of it. Do not remember the former things and consider the things of old. Because if you look at the Israelites in their journey, you would see that when they forgot the things of the old, they messed up. It was kind of their pattern. They would have a good king, and then they'd have a bad, 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 a series of bad kings before they'd have another good king because they would forget their traditions. See, without being rooted in memory, the people of God are often led astray. And this is for us, too. If we're not rooted in, in, the, in the memory of who we are and whose we are, then it's easy to neglect the things of God. So I think what the prophet is saying here is that he's not talking about forgetting the past of the people. He's talking about forgetting the pain of the exile, some of the trauma that they went through, the hurts that tended to keep them bound up in their old life, and it's never going to change, and and I'm never going to get anywhere. He wants them to move into a memory that will propel them forward into a future and a new hope. Anybody in here ever go through anything in life? Any dark times, any rough, rough times? Yes, the answer is. Yeah, we do. We chuckle because it's like, of course we do. 
every human being, everybody in here, all of us is going to experience some tough times that, that can be difficult to release, that hang on to us, times of grief, shame, despair, death, disappointment. We go through loss, anger, depression. Some of us go through addiction, just a lot of different things that come up in our lives that take us off track, and they keep us from, from having a full relationship with God. Everybody in here goes through that. So let me ask you, what is it in your life that is holding you in the wilderness? What is it that keeps you from a full relationship with God is what I'm really asking. See, those shadows, those, the grief, the shame, the despair, and the things that we go through can disrupt us. And they can interrupt our relationship. They can make us forget that we are a resurrection people, that we do have hope, that there is possible, po a positive possible outcomes regardless of what we're going through. When we're in the middle of those times, it's overwhelming. And it's in those times that this idea of muscle memory is so important. If I have been praying, you know what I might keep doing regardless of what's going on? Praying. If I've been studying, you know, as, a, as, as just a training piece, I might just keep studying. And God will reveal in prayer and in study and in meditation and in fellowship with others. Get in a small group and, and hang out. I know the Davises on Tuesday say they have more chairs every week. So you're welcome in that sense. See, there's much that can hold our hearts in the old life and prevent us from the new. There's, but there is one thing that can compel those same hearts to open to this new life idea. His new life is springing forth. And the power of God, the spirit that, that came, the counselor, the one that Christ sent, is who we have in our lives and who we can share it for others. We are to be who we are for him. As you take a look around, even in, in our, you know, we're a relatively small congregation, but take a look around. Think about the ones that you know. Think about the giftedness in this place today. The, the, the talents and the, and the graces that have been given, the possibilities that come when we are together as the body of Christ and the impact that that can have when we do that, from encouragers to studiers to leaders to healers to singers to musicians to, to writers to, to all of these things, that, that all of these gifts that we have. But to get there, we have to let go of the things that hold us back. We have to let go of the old to embrace the new. And in Isaiah, God's promises that the new is springing up and it's going to make gardens out of desert places and even the weird-looking animals, jackals and ostriches, are going to honor God. This newness is about, remember that word? Metamorphy, right? It's about transformation. This is one of Romans 12, 2 is, uh, was when I introduced this word to you, you know. To be transformed by the renewing of your mind. To be metamorphu, to be metamorphosized by the renewing of your mind. See, so this newness we're talking about is about transformation. It's about rivers that, that, that run in our life. River, did you know that when rivers go through the desert, what happens? What happens to the ground? It erodes it. It changes it. It transforms it. It metamorphoses it. That's what it does. I love that word. It fundamentally changes it. 
You know what happens when God's love flows into our hearts and our lives? It fundamentally changes it. It metamorphoses it, right? It, it, it makes it different. That love that comes into our heart, it cannot hit in, get into us without changing us. You cannot encounter the living God without emerging changed. And we can't praise the risen Christ, let alone rise ourselves if we're mired in the old. And that brought me to this week to... A passage of scripture is one of my favorites. You know, uh, you know, I have I seem to have a lot of favorite scriptures, um, but this this is a little bit longer passage, so bear with me. It's out of John chapter fifteen, beginning at verse one. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. I think he's trying to get us. Jesus is trying to tell us something. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you don't remain in me, you're like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire and burned. But if you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. The beauty of that is that when, that, when we're in him in that way, you know what we ask for? We ask for the things of God. And that's our priority. So it's like, oh, if I do this, then I can get what I want. Well, you don't want to get what you want. You want to get what God wants is what happens. And it transforms our prayer life. And this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit. He wants us to bear fruit. Showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. Isn't this awesome? I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this. You got any idea what this is going to be? Love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants. This is powerful stuff, especially for a a Jewish uh, rabbi. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you. And he would that all would be saved, by the way. And appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command. Love each other. I love this passage because it's so rich in meaning. It has such depth. And I'm not a gardener, by the way, but I do understand a couple of things. I know that healthy growth requires pruning and care. I watch this happen around our house. I understand (laughs) that (laughs) I understand that left on their own, the vine will wither and eventually it will die. It will overgrow and you have to take care of it. You have to prune it. But I also understand that under the care of a true vine dresser and a master gardener, that same vine will flourish because because of the pain of the pruning, but also the care given. Right, Sean? This is your deal. 
You know, Sean's one of our gardeners. We are part of the true vine. We are part of the true vine. We are tended by the master, the one who created it all, tends us. And we are meant to bear fruit that lasts. And we're meant to love one another for we belong to one another. And it's powerful when we can live that out. So we're going to turn our faces to Jerusalem this week and the cross that awaits in, in that story that is so familiar when we enter on Palm Sunday and then betrayal happens and a crucifixion. And, and we end on Friday at a Good Friday service in stunned silence, right? Because we're going to leave this place, lock up the tomb. He's in the tomb. He's dead. There's no hope. The disciples go away wondering what now because and, 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 they don't know Easter's coming yet. But you know what? We do. But we go away on Friday and, 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 and we grab hold of where we are in, in this amazing resurrection story. Here's the thing. There's a lot of people out there, the least, the lost, some of us, you know, because you, you can, don't have to be uh, the picture of least and lost to be least and lost. I'm just, uh, just telling you, you know, there are days when I'm the least and lost. And, and, and each of us needs more Jesus. We need more spirit. We need more of him in our life. And here's the beauty. The church is the only one who can authentically testify that death is not the end, that death is, is a beginning, that there is a resurrection coming, and that it's beyond anything that you would understand if you didn't know Christ and didn't know the Easter story and what's on the horizon. We're opening up to a rising of a new life on Easter. That life has more promise and more joy than we dare to dream of. And the world's going to try to pull that away. So maybe you got some voices in your head that are going to try to pull that away. Just don't let them, you know, grab hold of this the idea that God is with me. Because you know he is. God is for you. And I don't know why I wrote this, but I'm glad I did. God is ahead of you. God is already there. Because... Say it with me. God loves me. Isn't that awesome? God loves you.